This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now, hosting this edition of the Best of Radio Parallax, Graham Smith. Welcome to Radio Parallax. Today on the show, we're going to be talking to journalist Larry Tai about his book on Satchel Paige, the famous African-American baseball player. And we'll also be having a segment on Titanic Thompson, the infamous gambler, grifter, con man, best known for being a major witness at the 1929 Arnold Rothstein murder trial in New York City. But before we dig into that, and in keeping with our sports theme, I thought it might be fun to talk about the current League of Legends World Championship. Now, for those of you who don't know, League of Legends is the world's most popular video game, with something in the neighborhood of 70 million players worldwide. And the current tournament being held in Paris and featuring teams from all over the world is going to have something like a $3 million prize pool. In fact, DraftKings, one of the world's biggest uh, fantasy sports betting sites, just included League of Legends as one of their featured games. And while professional video gamer is still something that most people, including myself to be honest, might snigger at, some of these guys are pulling six-figure salaries easy. And I thought I'd mention it because I think it really ties into how sports in general are changing in the United States, possibly around the world. I, I don't know. I live here, so it's easier to talk about what's going on. But even with traditional sports, the incredible rise of fantasy leagues is indicative of this sort of general push to make sports a lot more interactive. The free flow of information in the modern digital age has started to make people wonder why they can't participate more in these activities that they love and spend so much time on. And honestly, I wonder if that's a bad thing. Why shouldn't people feel more involved in the stuff they love? Customize the experience more to their liking. It allows people to exert a level of control over something that previously they had about as much influence over as they did over the, the tides or the movement of the planets. And you know, why not? As they say, we have the technology. But uh, that's about all the sports-related things I can come up with. It's not exactly my forte. So instead, why don't we talk a little bit about the recent Democratic presidential debate. While the Democratic nomination fight hasn't been quite as contentious or entertaining as the Republican one, last night's showing proved that politics can still be interesting even when it's not a media circus. And that's primarily because of the massive disparity between how most of the major news outlets and prominent political scientists viewed the outcome of the debate and how, well, everybody else did. Now, according to CNN, The Atlantic, and The New York Times, Hillary won the debate in a landslide, mainly because everyone was expecting her to go up on stage and completely flub it. And when she didn't, they thought that meant that as the establishment candidate, she was automatically ahead, which is admittedly not a ridiculous conclusion to come to. As I said on last week's show, a lot of the a lot of the hype around Bernie Sanders just hasn't been shown in the poll numbers. And moreover, Bernie kept to his word and failed completely to attack Clinton on a lot of the scandals that she's been caught up in. Benghazi, emails, etc., etc. 
going so far as to even defend her at one point. And conventional political wisdom would say that these two things, Hillary's strong lead and Bernie's complete failure to capitalize on her greatest weakness, which I think most people would agree is a perceived lack of trust, are enough to put her in the lead. And many major pundits said so. And yet somehow Bernie was still the most mentioned candidate on every major social networking site and the most search name on Google by a two to one margin, which flies completely in the face of traditional political science, which would tell us that Bernie's strategy of talking only to the issues to the point that he would refuse explicitly to talk about any kind of scandals that weren't related to policymaking should fail completely. Regular voters don't like that, right? They like scandal, they like drama, they like voting for the kind of guy they could have a beer with. Not a community college history professor. But of course, whether that interest can be parlayed into actual votes come election day remains to be seen. Next up, we'll be talking with Larry Ty about his book on Satchel Page. This is Radio Parallax. One of the most intriguing figures in the history of American sports is Leroy Satchel Page. Considered to have possibly been the finest pitcher in the history of baseball, Page unfortunately began his career in 1926 when the big leagues were segregated. Given that it took until 1947 for Jackie Robinson to break baseball's color barrier, that should by rights have come too late for Satchel Page. Amazingly, it did not. Not quite. Page became the oldest rookie in the history of the game, and in a storied career spanning 50 years, he accomplished so many feats that people still argue which are fact and which are fiction. Larry Ty, a baseball fan, decided to tackle this remarkable tale of a unique American with a new book. It's titled Satchel, The Life and Times of an American Legend. Larry Ty is a prize-winning journalist at the Boston Globe and Neiman Fellow at Harvard University. He's currently on a book tour in California, and we're delighted to say... Welcome to Radio Parallax, Larry Ty. Great to be with you. Well, uh, one cannot avoid going on at length about the colorful aspects of Satchel Page, but as we start, Larry, I'd like to note that your book illustrates how Page, in many ways, set the stage for integrating baseball, something that, that maybe before your book he's not been given so much credit for. Yes, I'd like to say that if Jackie Robinson was rightfully credited as the father of baseball integration, Satchel Page was easily the grandfather. He was the one who brought the spotlight to the Negro Leagues, brought the spotlight to the Kansas City Monarchs, the all-black team he played for, and he brought the spotlight to the Monarchs' second baseman, Jackie Robinson. The only reason Branch Rickey knew about Jackie Robinson when he signed him to the Brooklyn Dodgers was because he knew about Satchel Page. Well, the, the Negro Leagues uh, have kind of faded into history now, but can you briefly describe what they were like in those days before World War II, and particularly how Jim Crow laws drove their very existence? Sure. After the Civil War, we went through a brief period of Reconstruction trying to build a new racial order in the country. And during that period, it was the earliest integration of professional baseball. Blacks and whites were playing on the same field and on the same team, 
in professional baseball half a century before Jackie Robinson broke a new color barrier. So I like to say that Robinson reintegrated baseball because we had had that wonderful golden era. Unfortunately, by the early 1900s, much of America was separated into black and white worlds in everything from the water fountains and bathrooms that people could use to public transportation to, most dramatically, the baseball field. It was the all-American pastime, and it reflected America back then. There was an all-white major leagues, and there was a parallel universe that grew up called the Negro Leagues, where only blacks played, and that was the only chance blacks had to show just how good they were in baseball. And it was a scene where, on an average Sunday afternoon in major American cities, the black women would put on their finest shoes, their hats, their mink stoles, and would go to the ballpark. Black men would put on their straw hats and their patent leather shoes. Ministers would let church out early on those Sundays, partly because their congregants wanted to make it to the big featured pitching duel in time, and partly because the ministers did too. (laughs) And in city after city where he played, the Sunday featured pitching duel always included the biggest showman of them all and the biggest crowd pleaser, Leroy Satchel Page. Well, he, he was uh, he was certainly well known to black baseball fans. Maybe the maybe the most famous among the black players. But I, I, I gather he really got known to white America when he would barnstorm around with some of the major leaguers, like the great pitcher Dizzy Dean in the 1930s, and showed that he could uh, could more than hold his own. He did. He did two kinds of barnstorming. One was going into small towns and hamlets across the country, anywhere a semi-pro team or a bunch of farmers who like playing baseball at night could put together enough money to entice Satchel and his black barnstormers, Satchel would go. So lots of small towns all across America, people were telling me stories about seeing the great Satchel Page come to town for an evening or an afternoon game. But he also, as you said, did famous barnstorming one season with the great Dizzy Dean, another with the incomparable Bob Feller. He also did something after the Negro League season would be over, and most ball players, white major leaguers, went off and enjoyed their winter off. Satchel would come out here to California, and in cities like San Francisco, he would play baseball in what was the earliest test of integrated baseball in the 1900s. He would play in the California Winter League, where white teams and black teams would play on the same field and show that the sky wouldn't fall. And it was the, the models set in places like California that let people know just how good black ball players like Satchel were and just how great it was watching whites and blacks on the same ball field. Well, Larry, I think I caught a little bit of the aftermath of the California Winter League uh, a play of, of Page. When, when I was a boy, I remember really well my teachers mentioning his name, which I'd never heard. This is maybe the early 60s. And there was just something about how they referred to him. They kind of have a twinkle in their eye that conveyed the fact that this guy just amused the heck out of them. We have to take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Graham Smith. I know you deceive me. Now here's a surprise. I know that you have, cause there's magic in my eyes. I can see for miles. 